Hi everyone, welcome to Commissioner Wilson's virtual office hours. Office hours are here. You're it's not wearing Thursday. green. Oh yes, she oh, is. Oh, I, I am. can't pinch her. And actually, I sort of, I, this goes to show you, I'm not totally sure about that, like <laughs> green spectrum. Is this kind of an olive green? That's an olive green, that counts. I don't know if you can tell by the camera, but I thought I had enough leaves in my shirt, but then I added some beads just in case, because I don't want to be pinched. <laughs> I'm green at heart, because I love trees. And look trees. at the nails. <laughs> Yeah, I did this in the car. <laughs> um, well, happy St. Patty's Day to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, Commissioner. Are yeah, you celebrating? Much, much luck and love to everybody out there. And I think, um, you know, my message is just be safe. I know this is a fun holiday. This was two years ago this week that we got local um, direction to for the safety of our, our ourselves and our neighbors and friends to stay home. And so... I think there's a lot to celebrate right now. Um, go out, celebrate, have fun, just be safe. Do not drink and drive. Um, you know, call a friend, call a taxi. Get on a bus. Get on a bus. That's exactly right. Walk at home. Um, it'll, you'll feel better for it. <laughs> and also, we have not had the opportunity yet to say happy International Women's Month and Women's Year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's one of those... I think that gets stacked in with we try to make sure we're acknowledging the history and the contributions of people, especially people who were systematically over time yep. not allowed to vote, not allowed to own property. And, you know, Women's History Month lets us highlight, you know, sort of the things that women still got done, even though they weren't allowed to do all those things and they still got them done. So I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for the strong, smart women that blazed the path before me, and I am grateful to be on their shoulders, hopefully pushing up the next generation. Yeah, women really blow my mind. Like, just a fighter spirit. Almost every woman I've ever met, if you're a mom, I just bow down to you because I can barely take care of myself. <laughs> and moms rock it. Yeah, well, and think about how many moms you know that are also things like, you know, circuit court judges and, right. um, you know, running their own nonprofit and having you know, I think that they really sometimes are motivated by the idea that that obligation of holding up the next generation is literally in front of them. Right. So I think that there's a, a motivation that comes from looking into your children's eyes and looking into any children's eyes, because I think all of our obligations should be to the next generation. And I think that children are our children, you know, right. and I mean that collectively. Yeah. So hug, hug the women in your life. Yes. Um, thank you to your mom. And your aunt, your grandmas. Yeah, uh, you know, every woman in my life that has inspired me, um, most of them are teachers, yeah. entrepreneurs. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, exactly. You know, I just have to say I owe everything to those strong women That's that sweet. have uh, kind of set an example. And, you know, right now in Florida, women's rights are under attack, and it's, it's really disheartening. But, yeah. you know, we just have to continue to look forward and, and just continue to applaud the women that are spearheading. That's right. And acknowledge the history of how far any, and I mean, women, I think, you know, we talked about Black History Month last month, but we should continue to talk about black history mm -hmm. because we should continue to talk about history. Right. And, <laughs> and so that we can learn from, you know, the successes and that we can really hold up the great successes mm -hmm. and make sure that we're thanking the people that deserve all of our praise, mm -hmm. and also learn from the mistakes that we've made in the systems where the failures have been. And so we don't, we're not doomed to repeat them. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, so some good news is that our COVID testing sites are starting to uh, have less and less people needing to get tested and less yeah. and less positive cases. Yeah, you know, I know that there's been 
very little information coming out of the Department of Health at the state level. I think, you know, our, our, our state leadership is like, oh, we're done. We don't have to worry about health. But locally, we're really, really fortunate because we get um, information actually from our utilities department. And it's scientific information. They're able to collect data from our wastewater. And it doesn't, it's not a privacy violation because it really just shows us where there may be outbreaks of infection based on, you know, wastewater patterns. And it really looks good as far as our numbers coming down. They are cautiously optimistic, but I think we all need to make sure we're just keeping an eye on those numbers in case another variant comes up. I have not thrown away all my masks in case that we need to use them again. I think, Lee, there are places that I don't care if infectious disease is eradicated from the face of the earth. I don't think I'll ever go into a public bathroom without a mask on. A plane. <laughs> a plane. Yeah. There were times when I was double masking in a plane and I was like, oh, this is this how I'm going to do it from now right? on. This is a, yes, exactly. You exactly. Know? So, you know, I think it's been a great lesson for us and in some of those strategies in, you know, really staying healthier. We don't know what's around the corner and part of the human experience has been the challenge of infectious disease and we've learned a lot we still have a lot to learn and it's hard to believe that it was two years ago this week right that we got the you know stay home be safe message and so you know i'm i'm grateful to say we are still offering testing should anyone need it for either travel or because they do have concerns they have symptoms that's still out there right um, barnett park is still doing testing they're still doing vaccinations including pediatric vaccinations yep and i think biden still has the opportunity to send out tests for people yeah. as well well at, to their home and i you know i held on to the ones that we had that were left over because i know that you know when these things happen like omicron was such a lesson in it was so uh, virulent that it just spread really quickly through and that's why we saw those really long lines and everyone that you know specializes in infectious disease said well whenever you see a virus that's moving that fast and, and you're seeing numbers go up like this it will come down equally as fast because as a population you, you've been really you know it's pushed through that population and so you know many 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 families out there of fully vaccinated people fully boosted people are, you know, also had either one family member or more who also got a breakthrough case. And I know that it's been frustrating for people, but my advice to them is that means that you've now probably got the greatest immunity of anybody in your house if right. you were the one breakthrough case. And, you know, right. we just continue to look at the research and the data and, and follow the lead of our medical professionals. Isn't science nice? I'm grateful. Science is great. I'm grateful. Um, so, there still are people who have had their jobs impacted yes. by COVID. Um, so if you need help with your uh, rent, there still are emergency rental assistance programs out there. Yes. And I know that Community Legal Services of Mid-Florida does um, collaborate with Orange County to host various uh, application um, events to help walk people through their emergency rental Yeah, because, you know, in, I think forms in general are difficult. Online right. forms can be especially challenging. And some of the reasons for delay on some of the, the ability to help people who are behind in their rent have been right. really just technical challenges. So getting some assistance from somebody who may be a little more familiar with the form is always recommended. If you have any questions about it, just reach out to us. We, um, we understand that right now there's a lot of great job opportunities in various areas, but it doesn't mean that people haven't gotten behind and right. they have to catch up. And so, you know, that's a very real threat to having a roof over your head if you're certain past due in your rent. And so we still have funds available for that and we can help walk people through, get you to the right place to get those done. Absolutely.
Um, so let's talk a little bit about some fun events that you went to. You went to the Central Floridians of the Year Award Ceremony. This was the, probably one of my favorite things I've ever been to because we, we were so challenged in our daily lives and we look to um, other people sometimes to roll up their sleeves and jump in where there's a problem. And going to the Orlando Sentinels Central Floridian of the Year Award was sitting amongst the people who have taken it upon themselves to roll up their sleeves and jump in to get things done at like the most challenging things at the most challenging times and without sometimes a whole lot of support and sometimes really the unsung heroes. So it was really great to see them get the award, see them get a, the praise. And the best part of this group of people was that they all were like, well, you deserved it. No, you deserved it. Well, of course you all are going to think that because this is the most unselfish group of people probably walking amongst us. And so, you know, there were um, nominees who I went actually um, with my friend, Stephen Myers, who's a, an attorney that when the rights of nature were threatened, he took the rights of nature up as a client. And there's currently litigation that the whole world is watching to see if things that we know to be life-sustaining will be able to hold their legal rights. And so, you know, what Steve is willing to do with his time and his energy pro bono is really an amazing thing. And he was awarded, he was one of the nominees. Um, there was a, a woman who fought the placement of a Confederate statue in the courthouse where the Groveland Four had just recently finally, finally seen justice. And you're talking about an area where the this woman herself, and she said, I'm 67 years old, do the math. Right. I was a witness. I was a witness to the type of racism and discrimination that that statue stands for. And so her work has was really very, you know, heartfelt, and and I'm sure she felt alone on a lot of days. So it was so great to meet her. Um, ultimately, the winner is somebody who has spent his entire life working for civil rights and um, and done it through youth sports. Because things that we know about sports, and especially youth sports, if you have a a, a young athlete in your house or if you've ever been one, is that it is sometimes the place where we can find a really great bridge to culture and language and um, international affairs in a way that isn't politically weighed, just humanly weighed. And so this is his life's work. And, and you know, this is somebody that sat down with Nelson Mandela and with um, Barack Obama and, and has worked his whole life, lives right down the street here as a, a, an adjunct professor, associate professor, I think, at UCF, and continues to participate in, in fighting for justice. Wow. That, that sounds very um, impactful, and, and hopefully we can do our own little award ceremony for some of the residents. I think that would be a fun idea. Oh my gosh, we should really do that. I think it's a great idea because we have some people who, just like I was describing in this group, just roll up their sleeves and get to work. You know, right. we have a resident in Gotha who literally prevented flooding on, you know, for his, his neighbors. We have residents in, in Horizon West that spend, you know, really full time looking at safety for people crossing the street. We have residents that have met us out on corners who don't have little kids anymore and have met us out on street corners to show us how crossing at a street where children have to cross is is too fast and it's putting them in, in harm's way. So right. we really could do a, a citizen of the month in District 1. 
Well, one citizen that reached out and organized a small business tour for our uh, Latin American community uh, was Julio. Julio Roca, thank you so much. If yeah. you were paying attention to this, and if not, thank you anyway. I feel so grateful that um, that Mr. Roca is a resident of District 1 and that we were able to meet. And I'm hoping that what it is is the beginning of an opportunity mm -hmm. to have some outreach um, mm -hmm. into some of the smaller businesses in um, the southern part of District 1. And for you know people that relocate here internationally um, and people who are trying to navigate the small business world, sometimes a big government like this has a blind spot. And especially when there's a language barrier or you know there's other um, permitting requirements, that that business owner is bearing the brunt of, of paying the rent and trying to get staffing but haven't been able to achieve what they needed to achieve through the county to start their business. And right. so hearing that process and the challenges is really helpful. And I think it was a, a great launching point. So thank you so much for meeting me down there and introducing me to some a great network of people. Right. I mean, we have such diversity. I love my district. I think we need to really celebrate. You know, there you got a chance to meet some Peruvian business owners, right. Venezuelan business owners, that's Ecuadorian right. business owners, Colombian business owners, yeah, and, um, and uh, listen to their listen to some of their struggles, but also celebrate the fact that they are here. They have people in the community that are relieved that they're there because yeah. maybe they're far from home and they're moving here. They're new to yeah. this community. This is their new home. And now there's businesses to follow. And to have, um, to see that kind of economic driver that is truly community building and is a, is a home for people who maybe do feel displaced. And so I think it's, I mean, it was a really, really great. And I'm very proud. I knew that my district was really diverse, but to hear actually how much leadership mm -hmm. is in those small business communities and how much, you know, I think really international interest is in District 1. Makes me feel like, woohoo! Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so a lot has been going on in the past two weeks. Uh, you actually were able to speak about some of the state legislation that we've already kind of touched on when we had Robin join us from Rainbow Dems, but you had an opportunity to go to a Rainbow Dems meeting, mm -hmm. their first in-person meeting since COVID started and speak on some of the state bills that are yeah. going through that are very harmful but there's there's a lot of harmful bills happening right now there, there are and they've passed you know i think when we first started hearing what was in the pipeline there was an immediate reaction like that couldn't happen here in florida um you know our lgbtq plus community our trans community they are woven into every aspect of Floridian, Floridian life. They are teachers and students, they are parents, they are taxpayers and voters, they are, you know, multi-generation residents. And to hear the legislator took up a, a bill, our legislature, and it passed the House and the Senate. Now, your local representation here in Orange County strongly opposed this legislation. Mm -hmm. um, but the bill was sponsored by um, two lawmakers out of the Marion County area, I think, you know, north of Ocala, Williston. And, you know, there were actually several Republicans that stepped across party lines and also agreed that the, that the bill was in particular discriminatory and the language is discriminatory. Um, 
for people who say that the Don't Say Gay Bill is about protecting children or protecting children's ears, then, you know, then why aren't we talking about just instructional uh, oversight? That's not. In the preamble of this bill, it literally uses the word discussion. And it literally targets a group of people. And it targets a group of people in a, in a very hostile way as though it was a contagion. And so it is discriminatory on its face. I think it, it's, a, it's unconstitutional in the way that, you know, equal protection under the law is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's unconstitutional in a way that I believe it will um, censor teachers and students. And under our Constitution, teachers do have more instructional mandates that they have, right? So right. First Amendment rights aren't the same for a teacher in a classroom as they would be for somebody on the steps of their town hall. Right. But students don't lay their rights down at the doorway of their school. And that right. has been established and held up by the Supreme Court for a very long time. And, you know, the speech that I think I'm the most worried about being chilled isn't even like those discussions that, that you hope are happening about the history of the struggle, struggle for equal rights. And, you know, the Supreme Court findings in Obergefell that gave, um, you know, the equal right to marriage. Those are things that should be instructed. That's our history, Right. right? But on top of that, to chill just supportive language, right? If a young person goes to their teacher confused and un not understanding some of what, you know, they're either going through or what they're, you know, the teachers have always had a really special place in being trusted adults. You know, we, we educate them, we license them, we make them go do internships, we background check them all over the place, and then we're not going to trust them to have an open conversation. Right. Um, you know, and for, for those of us that have worked in education, you know that a teacher is a um, mandatory reporter, right? So if you suspect that a child is being abused, that teacher has an obligation to report the abuse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What this has done is basically the legislature said to teachers, we don't really trust you to have a conversation about this. So you can't soft limits, and and we're gonna empower whoever's out there on the other side, offended for whatever reason they might be, and I mean offended, right? That's all I can say about it is I'm sorry if we hurt your feelings by being who we are, right? But if that's the case, what we've empowered those people to do is sue their teachers. So it's not signed into law yet, but DeSantis, um, Governor DeSantis, has signaled his approval of it, right? There's two points that I want to make to that. One is that when I actually try to listen, which is very hard to get through, but I try to listen to what DeSantis and other people who are supportive of this bill or the Stop the Woke Act, when I listen to what they're saying, they're trying to make a case that because children's mental health reports are coming in due to COVID isolation so poor, that taking any offensive, which is way too broad of a term in my opinion, offensive conversations out of the classroom will help create peace for those Listen, children. In the, in the Stop Woke Bill, the word they actually use is discomfort. Discomfort. I'm sorry if you're not comfortable about slavery and the history of slavery, but that's not my problem. If I'm a history teacher, right. you should be uncomfortable. That should make you feel really really uncomfortable enough so that you would go and learn about it right and then teach about it because we are doomed to be oppressors if we don't learn about the history of oppression and right. i to me to tell a teacher to stay away from any topic that might make somebody feel a little uncomfortable 
then do we stay away from the Holocaust? Do we stay away from mm -hmm. um, drunk driving? That can be very scary. What if, the, the, the issue to me is that we need to have all conversations that are potentially based in historical or health and safety, they should be on the table. They should not be censored. Right. And, and then to have something so vague as to say that, you know, anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or discomfort. And then on the, the don't say gay side, it was, you know, basically anything that has to do with sexual orientation or gender identification. And you're like, you just literally tried to erase people. Yeah. You know, you try to erase history and erase people and it's censorship and it's, it's, you know, I think it's a it's an interesting thing for me to see coming out of a group of people that were really strong on don't tread on me. You know, if you believe in don't tread on me, don't tread on me. How do you march into a school and tell them not to teach history? Right. Don't talk about your parents. Right. I mean, next thing you know, we're going to say that the earth is older than three million years and that we're going to offend somebody and then next thing after that you know yeah, what I mean it's know, going to be I mean and I, I guess my it, my thing about it is if you want to, out the window yeah well and there are people that are like that right there are people who can really see the same same research that we all know to be verified and, and validated and they 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 will try to twist it into whatever narrative they want and that's fine you can be ignorant on your own time but if you're going to tell teachers and especially teachers in this state who are underpaid and under supported and already you know they have to factor in <laughs> duck and cover drills because we won't ban a gun we won't right. ban an assault rifle right or a magazine that can kill everyone in the classroom but we're going to ban the use of any history terms that might point. make people feel discomfort that's a so, great point i mean i my teacher friends my heart is with you i support you right don't give up. You know, the majority of Floridians support you and want you to see better pay and more support and the ability to have open and free discussions here in the United States where open and free discussions are a cornerstone of our, of our Constitution. And NPR just did an article. The second thing I was going to say is that they just spoke about this this morning, that from the reported cases... 14% of teachers are saying are suggesting that they've either received verbal aggression or physical aggression from children and from parents. But they really believe that the 14% is rather low because most of these things don't get reported in the classroom. So like, an aggression towards the teacher? Yeah. Oh, where they've that's... either been physically hurt by oh. a student or verbally hurt or even it's by okay. parents. Um, and then they had sh teachers share their story yeah, that's um, okay. of just simply doing things like calling a parent because a child has missed too much uh, school and the parent completely like threatened the teacher. Um, those types of things. Like I remember there was a time where culturally when I was going to school to become a teacher, there was like this essence of like respect the teacher yeah. no matter what. It's the a teacher needs to be respected. That's right. It's a you, you got your butt. It's an advanced professional degree. You disrespected your teacher. Yeah, it's an advanced professional degree. People who go into the teaching profession are required to, you know, go through extensive training and licensure. Right. And and even if they didn't, they deserve your respect. Even if they didn't, they deserve your deference in their classroom. Because you don't know, even if even if you're a parent who thinks that you know your own child better than anybody, 
you don't right. know what else is going on in that classroom and that dynamic. And so having a, you know, a respectful understanding of that teacher's, what their whole circumstances are, not just your one, you know, your one child in that one test or your one child in that one detention. And I think, right. you know, but I, a bigger issue, Lee, for me is the idea of civility, right? So seeing our gay lawmaker on the floor of the house being so disrespected and feeling so... We love you. And I just, and the idea of that happening in a professional environment where people are sworn to, to uphold our constitution and they take an oath to uphold the law and to, you know, to represent the constituency of, of the state of Florida, it just is so, so, so disappointing. And I think we've got to really talk to our kids, talk to our, you know, our family members. I don't, you don't have to talk to people outside of that about civility and approach of civility and to take a step back and to take a deep breath before jumping in, in, you know, attacking someone verbally or otherwise, because we don't get anywhere that way. Nobody ever gets there. Right. But I think censorship is certainly a, a problem in open discussion. And if you don't allow the free and open dialogue, then people don't understand other people. Right. And when you don't understand other people, I do think it sets them up for more aggression. Right. Because people fear the unknown. Right. And sometimes, I mean, you know, Hannah will definitely say this, when you debate, or not necessarily having to be in a debate club, but just being in yeah. a space where your opinion is challenged, it teaches you how to deal with confrontation. Mm -hmm. And something that I'm seeing so much more in a, in a common space, even here in government, is that people can't handle yeah. uh, confrontation. Uh, I don't know if it's just the shock of it or the tension of it, yeah. or you just kind of blank out because, but being able to have a demeanor of respect, even when you disagree, should just be taught through having these conversations in a classroom setting. Exactly, because even if you never agree with the person that you're having a debate or discussion with or you know a civil mm -hmm. argument with even if you never ever agree you're going to learn something right even if you you know you may learn something about the way you feel you may learn something about their background you may learn something about your own ability to get to the end of a conversation and come away agreeing to disagree but to not even take the first step and be fearful of having that conversation is to me, it's, it's such a, 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 it is the most counter democratic idea that I can think of. You think, you know, right now with the Ukraine attack, the Russia attacking Ukraine and, and how we are so fortunate in this country. And it makes me so happy to be able to sit here and do this. And I can criticize my lawmakers, right? I can say that my governor doesn't do things that I approve of. And I'm not worried that he's going to come through my door and take me away, hopefully. Um, but I think that for anyone that watched the news coverage of the Ukrainian or the Russian um, news anchor that came who was reading the state, so the state gives them what to say, right? Totally censored, completely, completely scrubbed down, and gives them completely manufactured propaganda. So the government, yeah. So the government gives them propaganda to read. She's reading it, and a news producer has a sign, a homemade sign. That I think said something like "no, not war, no yeah. war." Yeah, um, lying to it was you. A, it was a, it was a protest. It was a war protest. She could have gotten twenty years in prison. 
Well, they say they don't know where she is. I think her attorney is saying they don't know where she is. Uh, was that the day of? Because they... Because I saw the report yesterday that okay. she was in 14 hours worth of interrogations, and now they're just going to let her go. For doing what we sit here and do every week, right? Like, we do this every week. Come for me. But it makes me... <laughs> so people who think that my criticisms make me not patriotic, they got it exactly wrong. I, I cherish the ability to debate these issues. I cherish the ability to go in and dig the history of of why certain laws are the way they are and right. and you know what things could really use a legislative fix to best serve us and those are things you get to do in a free society but you can't do them if you can't talk about them right and you can't talk about them in high school if you don't learn about them <laughs> if you know you get to high school and no one's talked to you about you know the the, the diversity in our in our in our society so anyway that's that's well, we can. This could be its. This whole could hour be a whole because, thing. You know. I, the main. We. I was only going to give it like two more minutes, but the main thing that I feel is happening is just like in the play Chicago, you give them the razzle dazzle so that they're distracted behind the scenes as to what's really going on, right? And that's kind of the overall message of that play. Well, with this. You give everybody the razzle-dazzle of finding very emotionally charged issues that really aren't really statistically no. impacting anyone. No. no one no one is... Mass shootings, to your point, are affecting people way worse than talking well, about homosexuality in the classroom. Let's get even more practical. Like, the, the legislature should have fixed our homeowners insurance this session. Right. People all over the state of Florida, and I mean rich people, poor people, little people, everybody is having issues with homeowners insurance. They're mm -hmm. losing policies, you can't get a policy, your policy premiums are going up. This was something that needed a legislative fix and could have been legis legislatively addressed. But instead, we got all of these, what, like you said, razzle-dazzle, like, but it's over really here. just, over here. And, and it does look like um, kind of political theater, but there are packages that are served up by special interest groups, and, and so you're seeing the same bills pop up in other states. And so, it's not even authentic work. It's not even actually when you hear that it was authored by a lawmaker out of, it's not. It was actually authored out of, you know, some, some think tank for far, you know, far right leanings. But it doesn't either way help Floridians with the things that they're actually being affected with right now. And I mean right now. Can we get some affordable housing up in here, yo? I, all, all of the above. There's been so many of those. I mean, but I think I think the so most the threatening is the the HB 403, the one that uh, gives a business the opportunity to sue local governments if it hurts their bottom line. I'm the most scared about that one because I see how hard you work on the dais yeah. and you're trying so hard to progress ordinances to bring to our freaking people. county to, you know, 2022, yes. and now they're going to come and kick the heels right out from us. Yeah. And what it's, you know, and the message to, like, nefarious actors out there is you can open up a business here, and if you, if you have a bad intent and we try to do something that is, you know, let's because I would say that nefarious operators in the business world sometimes are creative and it's not something that's on the books yet, right? So if there's something that we're trying to legislate, you know, come up with an ordinance to protect consumers, and they show that it affects their bottom line, then we get sued for that. And so the idea of going, you know, the extra mile to protect this blanket protection of business interests without knowing the subtleties of it, or it's to me, it's very dangerous for consumers. It's going to be very dangerous for, um, you know, 
what I think are probably the issues that oftentimes don't ever make it to the state. And, you know, we've talked here recently about how we protect people from predatory practices selling puppy mill puppies, people who, you know, were given lines of credit, you know, in the triple digits percentage APR and having paid for a puppy that is so sick because it was brought in by a puppy mill. And we, we actually very specifically tried to make sure that we were addressing the consumer fraud portion of this in saying, you know, if, if these businesses aren't selling retail puppies, then we don't have to worry about being the endpoint of a puppy mill trade. And we can protect people who go in and really emotionally purchase this animal without realizing that they're, you know, affecting their credit score, will potentially be paying on a puppy even if it passes away for years to come. Right. And so and those are real people that we talked to that came in here and spoke downstairs that we based this law on. This wasn't this wasn't arbitrary, this wasn't out of the blue. This was based on real problems, real issues. And and to hear that those people's experiences don't matter because somebody out there is trying to sell something and whatever they're trying to sell is more important and their you know that their bottom line and their profitability is the most important part of that decision making process it should scare everybody and anybody that's had like a you know a bad experience out there in the consumer world be aware Florida, right. the Florida legislature just put put out a warning you you know buyer beware because we're not going to be able to help you at the local level and we're all so emotionally charged by these scary bills that are passing that are unconstitutional and hopefully won't even make it through any court cases because it's just, yeah, you're just attacking everyone's rights at all at the same time. <laughs> you do have these bills that are literally undercutting local issues that are happening right in our own yeah. community and not giving commissioners the opportunity, the power to invoke any type of bills. Yeah. But then I also think about all the taxpayer dollars that are being wasted. Like oh. think of all the staff time oh that went into that retail pet store ban, all of your time, all of our time. It, that was all paid by taxpayers. And to yes. just go in one sweep and say, if it affects a business, they now have the opportunity to sue. Yeah, doesn't matter if they're shipping in piles of sick and dying puppies, doesn't matter if they're, you know, robbing people blind, as long as we make sure that they're still profitable. But you know, I think the one that struck me as the most um, smoke and mirrors and wasteful was their the um, mm -hmm. their supposed uh, new office of election police. <laughs> they created this new office of election police. Now, in the state of Florida, if you follow Florida elections, the biggest issue really that we saw in in what I felt like was voter manipulation and and potentially. Um, really malicious actions were candidates who put in other candidates as fake candidates. And so what it did was in some cases it required, um, if it's a, if it was a partisan election, it required a runoff, which then changed the outcome. In some cases it changed the date. In some cases it just confused voters because it was somebody of the exact same name. Um, so there were, it was a strategy. It's a strategy and it's, it is funded by dark money that isn't required by law to be exposed. The real voter election danger in Florida comes from dark money and from people that we don't, we don't know where they're coming from, pouring money into candidates because we haven't done anything to try to clean up that election, <laughs> um, that kind of reporting. And, and this idea that we, there's nothing that prevents a fake candidate from being entered. I could go down there tomorrow 
and put my cat's name in if I've got the right, you know, piece of paper there. And and it could throw everybody off if that cat's name is, um, you know, Val Demings or something. I don't know. But the, <laughs> the idea of not addressing that issue after what we've uncovered since the last election is is the joke. So they, they opened up, you know, the, the bill starts this new office, new agency. Because you know what you need out there is more bureaucrats. Let's yeah. get you some more bureaucrats that can push some papers around in the Florida's um, Department of State that will somehow be now, I don't know, over the election supervisors. Now, if you know about Florida elections, election supervisors, our election supervisor of elections is duly elected, which is great, right? Because then there is this checks and balances within that own department. And the elections supervisors, they meet like other elected officials from across the state to talk about laws that may be impacting the election and um, access to the ballots and, and you know, different issues that they're seeing, and they all oppose this because they realize that this was, you know, really very smoke and mirrors and not getting to the issues. There's very little on the side of, like, quantifiable ballot fraud, and we had a very safe mail-in and, and early ballot season here right. this past time and in the, the round before that. So, so to try to pinpoint that is the issue, um, it is, it's just smoke and mirrors. The real issue is the dark money that's being poured into candidacies and in, in funding campaigns and the um, the fake candidate loophole. It's a loophole. So in closing on that subject, democracy is a verb. Please continue to pay attention. Please check your voter registration. Please vote every election on every level. Every election, every level. And if any of these things we're talking about somehow raises you know, particular questions or concerns. We can go further into it. I can send some information. We, we do, you know, Hannah loves to follow. We have a legislative, um, a staff member that does legislative updates with us. So we really have a lot of information that we can share. And I, you know, I, I will say that counties across Florida were pretty solidly in opposition to the preemption bills that have come through. And it hasn't seemed to make a difference because the special interest side continues to weigh greater in, in leadership. And, and I'm going to say leadership because there are people in, in the House, in the, in the Senate in Florida, who oppose these, oppose preemptions. Our local leadership um, oppose preemptions and preemptive actions. But if the top of the food chain in the Florida legislature wants it to get through, it gets through. And if the governor asks for it, it gets to his desk. So there's a lot of blurry lines with some of the things that we talked about. Um, I wanted to bring up one of the most important things that happened on the last BCC and one of the things that's coming back to this upcoming BCC and tie it into the state legislation because we're in the middle of working on a wetland ordinance. And yeah. land is basically bought and sold as a commodity. Yes. And you had a really great meeting today with some Barry Law students about the Burt Harris Act, and now we have this monstrosity of an environmental devast environmentally devastating uh, development called the Grove that has been controversial since I was a freshman in college. Right. So, true. so let's chat a little bit about that, the Grove. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's coming back for Okay, so we, if we rewind, and I mean to 2014, 2015, and I mean, there's so much history on this, but um, the area around Lake Pickett, it's in East mm -hmm. Orange County. It's beautiful. It's very close to 
um, the Econ River and you know much of the investment that people have made in preservation in that area. It was considered historically a rural agricultural zoning, which means that the people that live there were under the full impression that any rezoning that would happen wouldn't change dramatically the landscape of their their community. And so you've got, you know, horses, you've got farmers, you've got it's a it's a rural community. Um, this was a it's a large residential development that in its first iteration was, I think, probably, you know, the one that was the most worrisome in its impacts. But we here we are all these years later, because the at the time, um, there was a lot of pushback, the community really coalesced and said, this is not an appropriate place for this, this is going to be damaging. And we don't think it belongs here. Um, so they they pushed back, there was a, you know, ultimately, um, a lawsuit that was born out of the back and forth between the county and the developer. And ultimately the developer had some, some pretty big guns up in Tallahassee and they were able to, to change state law to get their, their development into the position it's in now. Well, if you look at the development and its plan right now and the way that it's laid out, I think there's some interesting pieces and parts to it, right? So there's this idea, it's called the grow, and there's this idea that it's supposed to incorporate some of that rural mm -hmm. character. And this was part of what came out of, of the litigation and, and the back and forth. Um, so there's supposed to be working farm on it, right? There's supposed to be a community gardens on it. There were um, what on paper at first glance looked like some effort to be made to avoid some insensitive areas. Like there was a commitment to stay away from the edge of the Econ River. There was a commitment to not put density close to the ecologically sensitive areas and to make sure that the you know class one wetlands, the highest um, quality wetlands were avoided. Well, you know, it doesn't take a super advanced degree or even, you know, uh, someone who's a specialist in planning to look through the conservation area permitting information that we got that's coming up this next week to see that, that really there will be some of the highest density um, residential areas right along the Econ River, and there will be some of the interior roads bisecting some of the highest performing wetlands. Um, there was nothing in there about wildlife corridors, what was supposed to be this working farm as part of the agreement um, in the development plan is bisected also by roadways. and. So there was just, there's a tremendous amount of inconsistency. It was up on the agenda, actually last BCC, and a couple of us had questions that were unanswered, and some of it was, you know, discrepancies in, in what were supposed to be the, you know, where things were going and what the number of acres that were developable, and those are really important things. Because if you talk about, you know, the promise that you make to a community, even if that community has already lost the battle, right? They lost the battle and they, they don't think that this, uh, you know, suburban neighborhood is a good fit, but they lost the battle and it's coming. And part of the agreement was, well, at the very least, you know, can you do this, 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 and this? Yes, we can. And then to turn around and not even get those things is insult to injury. And I think that even though it is a, plan, a planned community in East Orange County, it affects the county at large because this county came out in 
very high numbers and agreed overwhelmingly to protect the water bodies in Orange County. And so, you know, the original iteration actually of the charter agreement, the charter amendment for the right to clean water was actually originally called, you know, the right to, um, I think it was, you know, specifically identified the Wakaiva and the Econolachi. And so these are sensitive areas and people understand their value. And so going into next week and trying to make sure that we are taking a chance on identifying the places where that plan seems to be veering off is this is it, right? We have a, this is our, our duty. We have a, we have a promise that we've made to residents to keep an eye on, on what is critical to their well-being, which is our ecologically sensitive areas. So yeah, I mean, it's coming on Tuesday. It's actually a, a land use case. There's an applicant and there's two parts of the agenda that will be addressed. One is a conservation area impact permit, which um, really is for the impacts on wetlands that the roadway is affecting. And the other one is for the um, preliminary subdivision plan specific to the roadway. Right. So if you have any questions about it, we have all the information. It's a public hearing. Um, everything that I've been able to talk to anyone about, it's all on public record. And, you know, we try to make sure because it is a quasi-judicial hearing that we're very, very open and honest about the engagement when residents email in and residents call us. We want to make sure that the applicant knows, look, we are we are here absorbing all sides. We understand you, you will have the floor on Tuesday to make sure that we understand the case. And hopefully we will see... Um, information that resolves the issue. But right now, based on what's in our agenda, which is all public record, um, there's a lot of problems with the impacts and a lot of things that were contradictory to what it was supposed to come out from that litigation and from the, um, you know, the resolution to the grow. It really feels like developers have this sense of ownership over the entire state, especially the way that he spoke to you. He actually said, and this is a true story, can you stop using your hands and gesturing? It's distracting. You can go back and watch this. He says it, and then he says- Very um, aggressive. And then he says, that's rude. Yeah, and I, all I could think of was like, would you say that to a man? I don't know. I don't think you would have. I don't know if it, you know, it, it didn't hurt my feelings, so I really don't care what he thinks of me, but I felt like it was very unprofessional and diminished the conversation. And we just finished talking about civility and about treating each other with respect and coming to common ground. And to have somebody right out of the gate attacked my, my hand gestures. And if you all know me, you see me. I talk with my hands. It is definitely, it is definitely. <laughs> Does this threaten you? It is definitely a distraction. <laughs> it's just who I am. I talk with my hands. I, it's always been an issue. I used to get admonished for it in debate. I got admonished for it when I was in the courtroom. And, you know, I, right. and I still use my hands. So. And you're a commissioner, which means you're a commissioner who an applicant is trying to convince that their development is per code and they need to basically respect the people that they're trying to get their application through. You know, it's, it's just a kind of a slap in the face because it, it just feels as though there's been this like bend over for development yeah. kind of kind of mentality. Across Can you imagine state? if anyone else had gotten up there? Now, I, now, I've seen, I have seen residents who were concerned about things like, um, actually, 
I saw a resident that was removed from chambers several years ago when they addressed the the Board of County Commissioners out of turn, out of order um, about a conflict of interest. There wasn't a peep. This guy literally called me rude and said I needed to stop gesturing with my hands. And you know, there was never, it, it, to me, not having respect for me is one thing. Right. I, I don't need your acceptance or your approval as a human or as a person. Having respect for the office should be mandatory. And I right. mean that in the way that if we are going to demand that there isn't an outburst on anything, and we've been told mm -hmm. that people in the, in the audience during a hearing can't clap if they like something, that they can't, um, right. that there shouldn't be any utterances, then I would say a verbal attack on a commissioner would be out of line. But, right. you know, I'm... I have to stay focused on getting things done and making sure that if, if that was a, an attempt to distract me from the actual issue, which was this really contradictory application, things that didn't add up, that there was, it said there was on-site mitigation for the wetland, but we couldn't see any on-site mitigation. Um, those were the questions I was trying to ask when I was gesturing with my hands. And I think that there's going to be times where if I do challenge, there's probably going to be personal attacks and I have to try to make sure that I'm not letting that distract me. But I ask that people respect the office. Right. Last point on that is, ladies and gentlemen, destroying our wetlands and harming our most important natural resource, our water, should not be easy. No. And you were elected because yeah. you have seen a perpetuated issue of our water just being moved around for development and not respected. Yeah. And at a certain point, we're gonna run out. It is something that when I was running and since I've been in office, that it does not see, it crosses all other lines. People can be from you know, anywhere in the country, have any background, have any political leanings, and they all agree that our water and our air are non-negotiable. Right. And having good, strong wetland code and protecting the areas that allow us to have clean water and clean air is the only way we can protect it, right? right? So if I continue to scrutinize those things, I will continue to do it because I know I have the support of the voters and the residents. I have never heard, stop fighting for clean water. It doesn't come up like clean that. Clean water, Wilson. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's okay. So if... if um, you know, this week was a tough one, not just with that particular developer. There, there's a developer. There was a you know a, a plan in in <laughs> Horizon West, which is you know I think it's very much a struggle for residents and for for people who are just trying to participate in this process as as community members. Mm -hmm. When they go to our zoning page, they go they go look up Orange County, Florida zoning on our web page. And the link takes them to a page that says broken, broken link, that they can't get any more information. There's no muni code link on it. And I, I last night, after hearing from residents that were concerned about a rezoning from agriculture, agricultural to a high density um, multifamily dwelling unit, that I had heard from, from the applicant and I had heard from staff that they should have known that was coming. That, that that was zoned that and that they should have known that was coming. And I, I walked myself through it. Like, you know what? Let me act like I just moved here and I want to know what's going to be over there where that forest is right now. And I and I looked it up. I looked at Orange, Orange County on my own computer, Florida zoning. Um, and it takes me to a place where eventually um, I can't get a hold of the Muni code because the link doesn't work. 
Um, then I'm like, you know what, then I'll try this tab down here because it shows me that there is a GIS map. This is pretty cool. That allows me to see that it's zoned agricultural. Well, you know, the future land use map in our comprehensive plan has an overlay for Horizon West that designated it as multifamily. There's, it's not accessible to our residents. Our residents don't have that. We've not, there's been no help in communicating that. And all I ask is that you help me help them understand this process. That if this is a legal process, that this developer has all of his rights to develop what he wants to on that, allow me to explain that. And if I don't have mm -hmm. the code available to show, mm -hmm. and I don't have the zoning, that I don't know if it is a legal plan. Right. I don't know if that is a legal plan. So, I, you know, I, for me to put it in a agenda and say, here's the staff report, we approve of it because it's exactly what the future land use map says, right. and they should have known, that's not enough. It's not enough. It should be It should be something that if I moved here tomorrow and I wanted to know what was going on across the street, because I paid good money for my property right here, right. and I want to know, is that going to devalue my property? Should I know if I if I need to get involved? Why can't I find that information? Why does it say that it's zoned agricultural if it's not? And if that's because the future land use map says that it's multifamily, then where is that disconnect? And how, how am I not seeing that the future land use map will always dictate how the zoning comes out? Right, I feel so bad for the residents who have been here for 20 years and are seeing their community change overnight. And then I feel bad for the new residents yeah. who just moved in and they had no, I, they were pr pretty much like, like told, here's what your community is going to be. Yeah. It's a new development. And then all of a sudden all the homes come, but all the infrastructure takes, and all of the commerce. It's five years to put in a red light and like six months to put in an apartment building. And they're just so, they're in unsafe areas because the roads are basically Mad Max out there. Well, that's the thing. And that, that has been a consistent question I've had when it comes to me in, in you know, we have to decide when it comes as a rezoning, mm -hmm. whether or not it's consistent with the comprehensive plan. And you know, there's a lot of language in the comprehensive plan that actually mm -hmm. addresses the need for um, compatibility with surrounding areas, right. which would tell you that if something doesn't match, that it shouldn't go there. Or if it was agricultural, that there should be some at least gradual change in, in density. And that, that's an urban planning principle. That's not new. Right. You know, this idea of a gradual change in, in zoning and having the infrastructure so far lagging, and especially when we talk about our roads and our schools, it is, it's a, it's a safety and well-being issue. So, you know, if, if you are out there listening to this right now, and this is, you know, ringing some kind of bells in your head because you know about something upcoming, stay involved. Because at the end of the day, I still am only one person on the board. And even though I think those issues are really clear in District 1 for the people that live there and are, are trying to navigate those roads and trying to figure out what to do when the sidewalk ends, right? the other districts may not know that, right? So our, the rest of the, the commission, the rest of our, our county leadership may not have all that information. So, you know, having citizens involved and having citizens reach out, even if it is email or or have phone calls across the board, it is, it's helpful because it shows that, that I'm not just being a difficult commissioner asking tough questions. It shows that I'm representing my residents who have questions about what's happening to, you know, the walkway on the way to the kid's school. Right. You know, and that's, a, those are very practical matters. It's not something that you can, 
you know, just kind of lump in with, well, it's consistent with the comprehensive plan. I don't, I don't care because if there's a child that's going to be unsafe, then we need to figure out how to make sure that that's articulated in the comprehensive plan as a priority policy. Right. Well, there is another Board of County Commission meeting coming up next Tuesday. Please tune in. It will be streamed on Facebook Live. Two quick things because we need to wrap up. Bird Island. Yes, this is another one that's been in the works for a very long time. My predecessor mm -hmm. actually launched the, um, mm -hmm. the update to the ordinance protecting Bird Island. For my friends that are on the Butler Chain of Lakes, we know Bird Island is a, a, a beautiful piece of conservation land that was... Um, it's actually deeded to the Audubon Society because it is such a valuable place for bird roosting and um, migratory birds, but it's become a, a kind of a, a magnet for partying and <laughs> anchoring, and then people kind of stomp across the island, and residents who really care about the environment there end up going out there and picking up glass on the weekends, and, you know, the sheriff's department's out there all the time trying to rescue boats that have run into the jet skiers, and it's really just become a, a hazard both environmentally, um, safety. So we are updating the code for that, which will include um, areas that I will hopefully slow down in that kind of narrow strip by Bird Island um, and hopefully allow enforcement to have some, some extra teeth if there is trespass. Um, you know, if you have a chance, if this is interesting to you, please take a look at it. We're gonna make sure that the information gets pushed out. Um, Sign up for the newsletter because I know for sure it'll also be there. I think this is going to be the first chance for us to look at it, um, but I don't think it's going to be voted on. I'm not positive on that, but I think it'll be voted on the next go around. So if there's something that you're seeing as somebody who lives there or a safety issue you know of that you feel like was overlooked, now's the time to speak up. Awesome. Uh, tonight at six o'clock, there's going to be a Horizon West um, virtual meeting on their code updates. So I a comprehensive know. plan, right? This is, I think, I believe this is looking at language um, for use for comprehensive plan. This is not hosted by us. This was hosted by mm -hmm. um, the PEDS department, planning uh, department. And so I'll be there because I, you know, want to make sure I'm hearing our residents and I want to um, find out what they are proposing as a cleanup to some of those discrepancies in our comprehensive plan when it comes to, I think, communications towers and setbacks. So we're going to be there taking notes, find out what um, sort of residents think and what staff is trying to take a look at. And um, please tune in. Be there. We'll be, we'll be live with yeah. We'll be live with that. We'll awesome. Thank that. you. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. Yes. Drew is the person that when he's he, the one with the wrist. Yeah. I listen and I often feel like Drew deserves, you know, his own Central Florida end of the year award because he's the one that after hours and hours and hours of a BCC meeting where there's three minutes of conversation that are so critical to you that I want to make sure that you can see those three minutes without having to go through the other six hours of the meeting. He's the one that fishes that out of there and cleans it up and presents it. So I'm so grateful for that because information is part of our obligation to you. We, we transparency and getting, you know, anything that happens in there that I feel like is relevant to the people, whether um, you agree with it or not, well, you know, we can talk about that, but having that open door is the most important thing. Right. We will talk extensively about this, but please come out for a work session on the transportation sales tax this upcoming Tuesday. It'll be a hearing again in late April, 
but at least we got the assessment report yeah. yesterday. We'll post some segments of it once we can fish through the 1,100 pages. It's big, but it's also important that it was big. If it came in and it was, mm -hmm. you know, the three-pager that I was worried about, then I would have probably wholesalely rejected it as not being sufficient because it includes priorities from our municipalities. And I've, I'm so fortunate because the municipalities in District 1 have been very, from the get-go, proactive in collaborating and coming up with what they see as a vision and have been communicating all along the way. Well, we have you know, municipalities all through Orange County. They had to submit their priorities and then you know, basically looking through those priorities and, and teeing up a plan, um, including some of the, I would say, percentages or, or amounts going towards public transit um, versus other improvements. And I think, you know, as a community, as a county, we are still having conversation about the transportation sales tax. I'm still listening. So please share. Yeah. Please participate. I'm still listening. Yeah, if you just go to um, OCFL.net, the first thing that pops up is the transportation survey that we're very fortunate to have very engaged District 1 residents because <laughs> apparently we fill, District 1 residents filled it out the most so far. Blowing it out of the water. Thank you. But, you know, I think you're probably also one of the communities that is the furthest away from seeing really good transportation. And have the most challenges. Like to the transit. point we were just making about development right. plans, oftentimes, you know, superseding good infrastructure plans and having seeing the struggle that residents have out there with the most basic things, right? Like getting, like being able to walk to your community school. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, residents in District 1 need to be heard the loudest because there right. are times that I don't feel like they get deference when we're discussing these things as agenda items. And they should be able on a survey to weigh in, you know, get that information in. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we're going to continue to listen to the priorities of our residents. That's where I'm basing my support and where we go from here. I would just, I just want to say, because it is, you know, Women's History Month, you're making history, Commissioner. You, I know some days it feels like we're not effective because I think our brains are... Get it done now. Get it done now. In <laughs> this system that's very slow, I think we're way ahead. And so it does feel sometimes like we're not effective. But you being in the room just to be loud for very the sweet. community is so crucial. Because you just, you have to think about all the people who would otherwise be complacent or God forbid, have bad intentions, you know, maybe they're, they're aligned with all the rigorous development that is really affecting the quality of life for a lot of people here in this county. You are taking the time to say it out loud, even if it isn't an overnight change. And that's why they elected you. Well, I'm going to thank you. It's so kind. And I, I sure. like so many other women who have been able to fulfill career goals couldn't have done it without other women who have supported them mm -hmm. and and surrounded them and on those difficult days mm -hmm. I'm you know get a little choked up heard you're doing the right thing mm -hmm. keep going and I'm also going to thank the residents because I wouldn't do it I wouldn't have ever thought to do it if I hadn't had the un you know unfiltered support and I mean across the board from people who said just get in there and tell the truth and we got your back and so yeah, we just keep keep on trying. We're still here. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like this. It's like exactly. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. She's a much better chief of staff and juggler. I will say that. 
Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you next Thursday. Hopefully we'll have some good news from the BCC yeah. to share. And thank you so much, Commissioner, yeah, for breaking you. things down. Thank you. People. Any questions, just reach out. We're here. Thank you so much. Bye.